So yeah, welcome everyone. Um, grateful, grateful, grateful to see literally each and every single one of you. Um, yeah, I just feel the love of Jesus for everyone in here um, so, so much. Um, and so um, just to kind of recap what we talked about, um, what was it, two weeks ago? Um, we talked about, that was the last time we had TBOC, right? Like TBOC Bible study. Okay, yeah. Um, so two weeks ago, um, I kind of announced that the d- direction the Lord was leading me in um, for the semester is just building up a foundation of prayer, you know, how to pray, why we pray, the power of praying, you know, what it looks like, how to, you know, shift our prayer lives, how to intercede. Um, and so we started that with the message of love, um, because without the foundation of love, we have literally nothing. We can't pray We can't do any of the spiritual gifted things that we always talk about and pray powerful prayers about, um, but we literally have to be rooted and established in love. Um, And so we we started with that, and this week we're going to continue with just another kind of foundational message. So this is just going to be literally just titled Foundations for Prayer. Um, And so, I'm sorry. And so um, I just want to talk about a few um, different things um, to introduce the foundations for prayer. And so three focal points that we're going to focus on, uh, or three focal points for tonight's message are going to be one, our access to God and the gift of confidence in our prayer lives. So that's one, our access to God and the gift of confidence in our prayer lives. Two, um, It's just going to be generally the foundation of or for prayer. So the foundation of prayer, foundation for prayer. And number three, what is the intended result of prayer? What are are we praying unto? What are we expecting when we pray, when when we get in the place of prayer? And so before I actually preach anything, I wanted to just open up um, with a question, just generally speaking, just to get a feel for the room. So... What is your biggest struggle that you've experienced in developing a prayer life that you feel just genuinely pleased with? So what are some struggles that get in the way of us feeling pleased with our own prayer lives? Yeah, Sydney. Consistency, consistency, okay. Results. Results, Mm, unpack results a little bit. not slack concerning the promise, but taking a little long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take it, just taking a little long, so yeah, yeah, so it's hard when it feels like the Lord isn't answering to stay consistent in prayer, yeah. Uh, I would say, like, focus. Mm. Mm. Start praying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so hit do not disturb. <laughs> it's John's wisdom. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> it's John's wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, it it really is, yeah. It's something in my brain. Uh-huh. Because I just got to, like, really... I got to take time before I can pray. Like, being mm-hmm. intrigued and stuff. That'd be way... I feel like it's, like, wasting mm-hmm. time in prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be, like, praying for, like, 30 seconds, and then my mind starts to drift. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. So sometimes I always just got to, like... Could just be, like, thinking about homework, m
And so what are some characteristics of the times of prayer that you really do love? Like you really do feel connected with God. What do what are some characteristics that define that? Yeah. Worship. What do you mean by worship? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to give myself to you. I want to offer myself, myself as a sacrifice to you. And mm-hmm. like, thinking about that as I'm singing, mm-hmm. and it usually just leads into a time where, like, I'm like, I can hear God crystal clear. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'll get it, Elizabeth. Or Liz, Elizabeth. <laughs> Yeah, so this time it was the opposite of what I said. <laughs> like, like those moments where nothing just matters. Be, uh, yes, yes, yes. The, an asteroid could hit the earth. It was like, I don't even know. It's just me and him. Man. There's literally nothing oh. in my mind. Well, that's good, Devin. Result. Right? <laughs> no, that, that's good. I thought I think you were going to do that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk, talk to us about results. I was going to say, like, you. you Mm. The prayer, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness, I gotta go pray. <laughs> the joy of answered prayer. Yeah. That's what uh, Elder Brandon um, calls it, the joy of answered prayer. Oh, wow. mm. That's a word, that'll preach itself. Um, but, oh, A.V. Um, I think tears. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Back there. Could you remind me what your name is one more time? Aiden? Yes. Thank you. Y'all better chill out. <laughs> Y'all better chill out. This will turn to a prayer meeting. Demia. Hey, hey, hey. Demia's got um, something to share with this.
Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for the responses. I'm sure we could come up with more, um, even if we uh, if we took more time. But I think it's just important to really consider um, both sides of that question um, and just thinking about, you know, sometimes we don't think necessarily behind, like, why, you know, oh, why does prayer today feel, you know, like I'm not really tapped in? Why does prayer, you know, on another day feel like it's just the best thing ever? And I want to encourage us, actually, kind of a trick question, that regardless of what makes us feel connected, thank you, Jesus, what makes us feel connected in prayer or makes us feel disconnected in prayer, we're connected. God is moved. He is touched. Every time we lift up a weak, mundane prayer, every time we feel like we're lost in his presence, he's touched deeply. He wants the conversation. He wants us to make use of the access he's given us. And so... Um, if everyone could just turn for me to start at Hebrews yes. 4. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I said Hebrews. Yes. Uh, Hebrews 4, um, 14 through 16. Uh, Jesus. And um, if someone could just volunteer to read. And um, we're going to have a decent amount of scriptures today, so we'll have a lot of, a lot of chances. <laughs> Devin, Devin is Mr. Hebrews, so... <laughs> So maybe we'll let uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We'll let everyone get there quick. Um, Hebrews, yeah, 4, 14 through 16. Oh, and let me just say, um, so Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Um, and th this section we'll be focusing on kind of just to give like a little title for it, mini title for it, is access and confidence before God's throne of grace. Um, and so, feel free to read. Therefore since, therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Amen. Whew. Yeah, there's a lot in here. Um, and so to start, I just wanted to go over a little bit of the context that I think is important um, that Devin was kind of praying about, preaching about a little bit um, at the start. <laughs> um, but... For people who might be a little less familiar with the Old Testament, so the Old Testament, there's um, the Ark of the Covenant is central um, to um, what happens in the Old Covenant in terms of worship, in terms of being in God's presence. And so this Ark of the Covenant represents God's throne. And so Israel, all of Israel used to have to go into the temple to worship. Um, and the ark was placed in the Holy of Holies. This is like as close as you can get to God as humanly possible on that side of Jesus. 
And even then, only one person was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, was allowed to be before God's throne. And even that was only once a year. Only once a year was one person in the whole nation allowed to stand before God in worship and repentance and sacrifice. Only one person. And so when this, this high priest um, went before the Holy of Holies this one time a year, they would go and they would cover the sins of the people um, themselves. You've heard of the Day of Atonement, maybe. And so, you know, they, they have this responsibility, but they have limited access. And so it's important to understand this context because here it's saying Jesus is our high priest and he's without sin. He has no need to sacrifice other animals, the blood of other animals, no need to ask for forgiveness for himself. And because he's our high priest and we have this new covenant with God, the blood he covers us with is good for eternity. And he's granted us access to the Holy of Holies at any time. This is, and this is just context. This is before even getting into like this, you know, these verses specifically, but He's given us this access to the Holy of Holies. What used to be one time, one person, once a year, we have complete access to. You used to have to be well-educated. You have to, you know, know all these rituals and different things and do things exactly perfect, or you would die in God's presence. They, they had, I believe it's like a bell on the high priest's robe so that if, if they died, you would be able to know because the, you wouldn't hear the, the jingling <laughs> anymore. And you would know that they died before the holy God's presence. And so there's some other things that happen um, on the Day of Atonement that won't get into because Hebrews, uh, Hebrews will preach. <laughs> Hebrews will preach itself. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it's really important to know this context, to know like he has literally torn this veil that formerly separated us from God's presence. Um, and we're identified with Christ's righteousness. So. I really want to focus on Hebrews 4, 16, um, and I just want to focus on a few of these key words. So I want to focus on, um, and I'm reading from the NIV, so my words are probably a little different. You'll probably have an equivalent in your own version, but the words I want to focus on are approach, um, or the words and phrases, approach, throne of grace, confidence, and in our time of need. And so with approach... I already mentioned this, but Jesus has purchased our access to God. We don't have to worry about him being too big. We don't have to worry about God being too big, too holy, too distant, too busy for us to actually come before him in his presence. But God loved us so much. He sent his son to die for us and to become our high priest so that the wages of our sin would no longer have to destroy our not destroy us, destroy our direct line of communication with God. That's what I kind of want to highlight here. That before, when there was, Jesus hadn't died yet, there wasn't this new covenantal um, blood for our sins. We had such a limited communication with God. So God's purpose wasn't just that we would be saved and just that we would be transferred into the domain, of, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, but it's also that he would restore the communication that was lost in the garden. Restore the direct line of communication where we could just rest with him. We could just be with him as Adam was, you know, just walking around during the daytime of earth. No sin to worry about. No, none of those things. 
And so we need to realize how important the cross was for our communication and not just for our salvation. And so grace, second word, grace can mean a gift. It can be a benefit, a state of kindness or in favor towards someone. And so it's important just for us to know that God sits on a throne of merciful kindness and favor toward us. The God of the universe literally is resting on a throne where he's eager to give out grace. He's eager to give out mercy. He's eager to be kind toward us. He's eager to show his favor toward us. So this shows God's nature. His throne is of grace. His kingdom is built on grace. We've received grace to transfer us. And then confidence. Because God loved us enough to sacrifice his son, to restore relationship with us, um, and because this act in the very throne itself is built on grace, we have confidence that's built up into our hearts that we don't have to question God's intentions on how he sees us and how he feels towards us. He sees us how our high priest Jesus is, uncondemned, without sin, because the priest's intercession and offering was meant to cover God's people and give them access to God, some access to God, some access, limited access to God. But Jesus, the perfect high priest, the sinless one, his one for all sacrifice on the cross tore the veil of relational distance between us and God. And now he sees us with the same righteousness, the same pleasure of Jesus. When we pray, we don't have to worry, God, I don't know what I'm praying. God, I don't really know if you, he's pleased with our prayers. Now later, we'll, we might talk a little bit about prayers that are according to his will versus are outside of his will or contrary to his word. But when we're praying according to his will, according to his character, according to the way he's revealed himself, we don't have to allow external things like how we feel, how well we can quote scripture in our prayer, how much we get responses from the people around us when we pray to determine God's pleasure. Oh, God really didn't move because I didn't get the approval of men because not as many people said amen or spoke in tongues while I was speaking or praying. But he's taking it. He has us. We're already in a place where we're completely in the joyful pleasure and grace and favor of God. When we come before his throne of grace with confidence, he doesn't want us like feeling like we just have to like shrink up in front of him or there's this big gap or this distance. But he's revealed himself personally. Thank you, Jesus. And so lastly, the last phrase I want to focus on is in our time of need. Thank you, Lord. And so that's why it's so crucial that this passage, impl- um, that this passage is implying that it's, inev- it's inevitable that we need God's help. Like, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. We all have times of need. Like, most of the time is a time of need. Every time is a time of need where we need God's help and need to rely on his grace and mercy. And so... We actually need to be in communication with God. So he wants us to understand the confidence that we should have in his desire for us to talk to him. God desires to hear your voice. You who might be saying, I don't know if he really wants to hear me. I don't know that I have much to offer. I'm not as well spoken or well trained or I don't feel like I can pray out loud. God wants to hear your specific voice. 
You have something unique that nobody else can give him. There's a relationship with you that is unmatchable. There is no other you and God wants you. And so he desires to pour out his grace. He desires for us to be confident in his nature and to realize our need in him. And so just remembering that not only do we have access to pray and to prayer, but prayer is a necessity. It's truly, truly a necessity. God died that we could have that communication restored with him. He didn't want us to be distant from him. And so the next scripture we'll, we'll turn to um, is going to be 1 John 5, 14 through 15. Um, 14 to 15. 1 John 5... 14 through 15, well, 14 and 15. Any volunteers? Anyone want to read? This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that Amen. Amen. So in this section, I want us to really focus on God's desire to both hear and answer our prayers. God hears us and he doesn't just stop at hearing like we often think, but he also answers our prayers. And so these verses reveal the foundation for confidence in prayer should not just be excuse me, what's revealed in Hebrews 4, it shouldn't just be about confidence that we have access, that we can approach his throne of grace with boldness in our time of need. That's great. But he also desires that we understand that we should have confidence that when we pray, we're not just praying because we should, but we serve a God who answers our prayers. Just think about what we're reading. God the God of the universe, the God who created all, the God who's without sin, the God who is holy, tells us humans still sinning, even on this side of, you know, um, being saved by grace and everything like that. He tells us that we could ask for anything, anything according to his will, and he hears us and that we have whatever we ask. So God is a God who answers prayers. We need to know that before we pray. How do you pray with faith and you don't even believe God can answer prayers? How do you offer up a prayer of faith and you're, you're just thinking about, well, you know, I don't really know if God cares about this. I don't really know if God wants to, you know, answer. I just know I'm supposed to do it and, you know, keep the conversation going. But God wants to take us somewhere deeper. Like we can actually expect things of him. Like according to his word, we can actually pray and expect that something will happen to expect that 
you know, the family member we're praying for, something will happen. To expect that 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 lingering anxiety that we've dealt with, that that depression that we've um, dealt with, that he's actually a healer, that that he can actually touch things, that things aren't completely outside of his power, that not everything just happens in this world. But God uses prayer. He uses the prayers of the saints to move things, to shift situations, to bring forth his will onto the earth. And so there's a place of expectancy God wants us to come to if we're going to understand the heart of prayer. He wants us to come into alignment with him when we pray. And so we have that access. We have the confidence that he answers our prayers. And we can't just theoretically agree, you know, with a verse like with verses like these. You know, when we're praying um, God's word and we're praying what's consistent with his revealed word, and the principles of scripture and different things like that. We know that God is faithful to his word, the same God who can't lie. He can't sin against you. He didn't just put this in here because it sounds good for us to recite and get our hope up. But when he says it, it is true. It is, that's it. He literally cannot lie. He's not a man that he can lie. So if he's telling us, that whatever we ask for, according to his will, he will answer. Should that not change our prayers drastically? Does that not affect the faith that you have when you go into a prayer meeting, when you close your door and you go into that secret place and you hear something like this and you look at that thing that seems like he's not been listening to, that he's not been touching, that he's not been answering. And you say, wait a minute, I serve a God who answers my prayers. I'm not praying amiss. I'm praying the will of God. I'm praying something that I know is in God's will. I know is in God's heart. He'll give me the endurance. He'll give me the patience. But I need a right view of him. I need to understand that his word is true, that I don't have to doubt his word. He's not like other people who tell me things in their lies or they just don't hold up. But every test on God's character, he has passed with flying colors. And so there's a tangible joy that comes on us in prayer once you actually trust that you're praying to a living God who is actively listening to you and your desires. And he desires to answer our prayers. Like it's his desire. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants us to come into alignment so that we can experience the joy, the results that Devin talked about. He wants us to experience the joy of answered prayers. He doesn't desire discipline, Christian discipline. He doesn't desire reluctantly communicating with him. But he likes when we understand who he is. He likes when we trust him at his word and we actually live out a a changed life from that place. And so... Like I said before, this changes the way we even have even the weakest or most mundane or less like, you know, passionate feeling prayers. Because we can trust that what this verse says is if it's prayed according to his will, it's answered. It doesn't say if it's felt according to his will. It doesn't say if, you know, we feel butterflies in our stomach, if we feel the spirit move on us, if we feel like we quicken, if we feel. But it says if we. Pray according to his will. We have what we ask. No no feelings that you have to worry about. You don't have to worry that you came in angry. You came in upset. You came maybe even 
accusing God of some things, but he still sits there. And even when you come in the wrong heart posture, but you pray his will, it's done. Thank you, Lord. When you come, even with a heart that's not fully in agreement, you're still tired, you're still, you know, struggling with whatever you brought into the day, but you start to pick up your word. You start to pray according to his will and his word. Things happen. He doesn't put you on time out because you didn't have a good enough mood when you came and talked to him. He's not like your parent when they're disciplining you, where, you know, you might have some time out or you might, you know, have to pay because you, you didn't come correct. But he loves us so deeply that he would give us a promise like this that's unconditional. Unconditional, an unconditional promise. You mean I don't have to be in the right mood every time, but if I pray your word, you're going to answer? Jesus, even some of us who are doubting what I'm saying now as I'm reading it verbatim from the Bible, whatever in, in his will, he'll answer. I didn't put it in there. God put it in there. The Holy Spirit wrote this. And so we really have to cling to these promises that we have and allow the word to renew our minds, to transform us. Otherwise, we're doing lip service. Do we believe what we say we believe? Or as soon as something sounds a little bit too good to be true, or it's tainted a little bit by prosperity gospel, or it's tainted a little bit by these different things we've been exposed to, we're like, uh, well, you know, we just got to ignore that verse because... You know, I don't know what to do with it. My prayers aren't getting answered. I see these people abusing it. So it must just mean something else. But can we trust God at his word? And so how many people, this is a rhetorical question, can testify to the joy that you feel when God comes through and he answers a prayer? You know, how how many people? That's me. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of joy. There's a whole lot of joy when God comes through and he answers a prayer. And doesn't it heighten the level of intimacy and realness or the closeness you feel about him and what he says? Can people attest to that? Do you feel a lot closer? It's a lot easier to trust God, to love God, to feel all warm when he's answered that prayer. Breakthrough came. We worship. (laughs) And all that. We love those moments. We love those moments. And so God is inviting us into joy. When he's telling us that we're being invited into answered prayers, he's inviting us into joy, to experience joy, to trust that even if we don't see it answered now, that there's a joy to come. There's a joy set before us that we can look for, that we can expect, that we can hope into. And so this is a method for prayer to stop becoming a Christian discipline. And it becomes relational. It becomes relationally driven once you grab hold of this. And so I want to turn it back to y'all. Excuse me, take a little preaching break um, and just ask. Just think about for a second. Think about the prayers that you pray where you really trust God to answer. And the prayers you pray that you really don't trust that he'll answer. And just let me know a couple of things. Do you notice any trends, any patterns between those types of prayers And then what struggles do you have in believing that he answers prayers? So anyone can answer. So do you notice any trends or patterns in prayers where it's like, man, I really tend to trust God with this. But when prayers get to that, it's a lot. I think um, sometimes I'll come against 
trying to make us feel the filter or like have a wall up so we don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. God is not man, we shall not lie to him. Mm-hmm. He has to like keep like praying that over and then keep repeating that, keep meditating on the word that mm-hmm. he's not a liar, that he's a good father. He's mm-hmm. good, he's good, he's good. Yeah. He will come through with all of our needs and all of our desires. I think that like even from what you said, like I, I well what you said something about like mm-hmm. having some selfish prayers, like mm-hmm. you have like selfish prayers, but I kinda have like a little pushback in that in the sense of like you don't like why don't you believe that God cares about what makes you happy? Like mm-hmm. God, God like mm-hmm. God you they, they, God cares about your joy. So if mm-hmm. you think it's selfish, that's something God still cares about. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. Mm-hmm. Amen. Let me get a passing. John, you had your hand up for a minute. <clears throat> yeah, so I guess there's like two instances that I noticed. Mm-hmm. Like so one of them one of them is because like I'm like a, I'm an engineer, so mm-hmm. So I feel like I'll start to I'll start to pray, mm-hmm. you know, and when it starts to take too long, then I feel like maybe I need to to help this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I usually don't help this. <laughs> so I'll start, you know, you pray, you pray for your, I'm praying for my dad. I'm praying for my dad for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, I'll be on the phone and be like, look, man, you just need to stop doing this, this, this. <laughs> and then I just make it worse. You know, they, they didn't want to talk to me for a little, little bit, you know? So That's it's funny. like, just trusting God that I think I, I think it was um, I think Pastor Brian he called I can't remember them they came up they used to pray with Pastor Brian like back in the day they came up mm-hmm. on the date one time and they said something like God cares about people more than we do mm-hmm. yeah so it's like sometimes it's like I care so much about my dad I just want to see my dad saved I just want to mm-hmm. see my dad make good decisions like so bad that it's like I'll be pr- I'll pray I'll pray I'll pray and I don't see like a change in him. Mm-hmm. And then I think, okay, I'm just going to take this in my own hands try to help him out. But I have to remember that, like, you know, like Devin talked about, the Bible says, God is not slow, you know, mm-hmm. some consider slow. You know, he's, he's, he's wanting that all will come to repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He wants my dad to come to repentance more than I do. Mm-hmm. And I want it back. Yeah. So that means he wants it way, way more than I do. <laughs> so it's like I have to stop trying to, like, take things into my own hands. Um, That's mm-hmm. I had another one I can't remember. That's that's mm-hmm. the main one is I feel like when I've been praying for a long time, mm-hmm. I start to be I start to like wanna like just hand it to myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like I'm like I feel like I feel like if he stopped doing this, this, and this, his uh-huh. life would get a lot better. So maybe I should tell him. Tell him. <laughs> <laughs> um I just wanted to say one thing quick. I forgot to say this when Sydney went, but Aiden, you made a good point. Um in in concerning just praying according to God's will. We, I don't know if it's all people, some people, young people, whatever, have a tendency that I've noticed to think if we desire something, it is against God's will. That what's actually God's will is like the opposite of whatever I naturally, like I'm actually like desiring or contending for. And so sometimes you might be right. Sometimes, you know, as, as I say, let me say that first. I'm not just throwing, throwing this out there. So sometimes, you know, you might be in the flesh. You might just be desiring something contrary to what God has been revealing to you, contrary to his word. Like, let me be clear. <laughs> like that, that, that does happen. But as you've been a new creation for a little while, as he's given you his heart, as you shape your desires by his, what his word says, through prayer, through community, through investing yourself into godliness and all of these different things, not everything you desire 
is against God's will. Be free. Somebody be free and receive that. Like if you've been telling yourself, oh, God, I really want X. So that must mean it's Y that you have for me. Like we don't understand God's character. Like I said, he desires for us to experience this joy. He desires for us to know him enough to know his will enough to know that when we pray certain things and we pray according to our own heart, we have his heart. We share and desire his thoughts like as we're renewed, as we grow in him, as we mature and grow in our understanding. And so I know I kind of just started preaching again, um, but I wanted to say that um, because, you know, just wanted to say that and not move to the next question too quick. So I'm probably only going to have time to take one, one more. (laughs) All right, Naomi has the only hand up, so... Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give a good trend that I've noticed in, like, the things, like, where I'm scared the most. So, finances, praying Mm -hmm. for finances. I, like, my mom really raised me up really well in just what it meant to be, like, a cheerful giver. And just, like, giving to the Lord completely without grudging. Just like the Bible says, you give without grudging. The Bible also says you will reap exactly what you sow. sow. Paul made it very clear um, that, yeah, we reap what we sow. A lot of people misinterpret that and take that as if you give $10, you made 100 That can happen. It's happened to me many times. But that's not necessarily what that means. It just means that the, you will receive blessing in return for the blessing that you give. The blessing isn't always physical. Anyways, I've noticed that um, some of the good trends in the areas of like my prayers for finances is that it seems to me like God always comes through at just the right time in that in that area of mm-hmm. finance. And now here, here's my moment of transparency. Last year for my home and me was like a Job year. It just felt like the canker worm just took everything up. Mm-hmm. It was just a very difficult year. But I yeah. had like five, six years stacked up with God, like almost instantaneously mm-hmm. answering prayers about finances. Like just back to back, I would like, Say, Lord, I don't care. I'll give you my last $100, and I would give $10,000 back. Mm. Like, it's crazy mm. stuff would happen like that. <laughs> and, like, that was happening repetitively. <laughs> that was what you flipping? Like, you flipping? Like, like, I would write these answers down. I'm like, bro, the Lord is answering this um, so well. Like, he answers these prayers back to back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So now, when the when the time came for like this year, you know, Paul said I learned to be a base. I learned to be Ooh, come on. Right now, when the abasing came, the, the year, like some real abasing, like really like hard times. Like I just was so confident. I'm like, bro, he's gonna come through. I don't care if it takes five years. I have watched. Come on. God answer Ooh. financial prayers come for on, financial breakthrough and I know he won even if he doesn't and I die and I don't got a penny to money I don't mm-hmm. care because I got some riches in heaven right now oh, come on come on sis. so like I just that was a trend that I noticed was just that my confidence was so strong that mm-hmm. when I went through the trial because the Bible says trials and tribulations are supposed to form that endurance and that confidence in you so um yeah I just realized that just you know seeing him be faithful mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, 
we're, we're going to have to move on, sadly. Uh, you know, I know people have a lot of great stuff. Um, but just for, for the sake of time, um, so we're going to move on to the next section, which is going to be Ephesians 3, 16 through 21. <laughs> Ephesians 3, 16 through 21. Um, and so starting with this um, section, I'll, I'll have someone read it in a moment, um, but starting with this section in the next, I think it's three scriptures we read after these. These are prayers like that we're going to be reading. These are the prayers that I encourage you all to pray that the Lord has given me to pray for the past few months just over the ministry and over each of you. And I really felt um, that he really wanted us to tap into these and bring out the truths of like the foundations of prayer that are that are found in them and not just to understand the foundations from them but to actually pray them you know i know the woman last week you talked about the power of praying the word praying the physical words of the bible and how how powerful and effective um that is like how do you pray according to god's will one easy way pray what he said is perfect <laughs> you're in the perfect will if you're reading his word back to him and praying it back to him in context um, in context, let me add that part in context. Um, but yes, would someone be willing to read um, Ephesians 3 16? Oh, come on. Yeah. Through 21. <laughs> she was just up before. Uh, 21. 21, okay. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Right. <laughs> you got a question? No, I just oh, wanted to, okay. I just Mine says inner being. I mean, <laughs> I know we, we all have different translations, so, you know, it's all different. But the, the topic for this section of scripture is that we need to be strengthened and filled by a foundation of Christ's love. So we, we talked about this some last week, but this unpacks it in a different way. Um, and it, it really enables us to pray into this in a very, very unique way. And so with verse 16. It's important that we understand that God does not leave us to our own devices to grow in knowledge of him, in wisdom, and understanding. So this strengthening of our inner being, the strengthening of our inner man, 
places our motives, our desires, our feelings, our thoughts, and our purposes more and more under the Spirit's influence and His direction. It allows God to show His power through us in greater ways. And so, in verse 17, it's so crucial for us to really grab hold of this because in it is the revelation that our foundation or the roots of our, um, our foundation or roots are tied to our revelation of Christ's love. The foundation, the revelation that our foundation, or you could say our roots are tied to our revelation of Christ's love. So we know um, two weeks ago, we talked about love. We talked about the foundation of love. We talked about um, one of my favorite verses, John 15, 9. A tremendous revelation that God loves us with the same exact perfect love and pleasing love that he has for Jesus, that he loves Jesus with. We have that same love. And so Paul here is saying we are already rooted and established in that love. We aren't trying to attain a love or understanding that isn't already within us when we've been, you know, grafted in. We're in the family of God, but it's already been deposited to us in our hearts. So when we're thinking about the foundation of Christ's love and we're we're believers, we've been born again, what we really need to be praying into is that we would grow in a greater awareness and revelation of the deposit that's already been made, that God would open the eyes of our heart, you know, Ephesians 1, um, that we would understand that, that we would have the greater awareness of it, that we're not seeking more love from God. We're not seeking the Spirit so that God would love us more, so that we could... We're seeking it so we would grow in our awareness of his love. We need to grow. This isn't God's love isn't moving anywhere. We need to grow in our understanding of it because it'll change us. It'll bring us into deeper levels of intimacy and not because God's love moved, but our eyes are more open. Our hearts are more open. Our understanding is open in greater capacity. And so as we look even to verses 18 and 19, and we think about, you know, what we read in the first couple of verses, how God's riches and his abundant power, um, you know, he, he pours out his power into us. He strengthens us in our inner man, our inner being, and we can grow in our ability to, oh, sorry. He strengthens us in our inner being just so that we can grow in our ability to understand the love of Christ that's already in us. He's literally strengthening us. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is praying that we would be strengthened in our spirit with all of God's power, his infinite power, all the things that we read at the end of that, just so that we can understand Christ's love better? That's already, we need power to understand his love for us? And it says to know how much, and we need to know how much greater this this experiential knowledge of, of Christ's love is. We need to, um, you know, we need to know a love that surpasses knowledge. That doesn't even sound right. How you know, you know, a love that surpasses knowledge. And it's because one form of knowledge isn't including the Spirit's power. But we need the Spirit's power. We need to know beyond that surface level of just knowing about and get into knowing with, knowing to, knowing Him, knowing experientially Christ's love that transcends knowledge. And so we need a knowledge that only the Holy Spirit can give us. And so although we have this incompre- incomprehensible 
love that's shown toward us and it's rooted in us, if we don't grow in our understanding of the Spirit or of it by the Spirit, we will miss out on the fullness of God that he wants us to experience. And so the supernatural understanding of Christ's love will result in us being filled with all of God's fullness. All of God's fullness. Kind of like I said on uh, the, the last section of scripture we read, where it sounds almost too good to be true, so like we don't know what to do with it. Like God, like God how could this lead to us being filled with all of the fullness of God? All of it. So the key to being filled with all the fullness of love is this revelation of Christ's love, the depth, the width, the height. Like, it's like so, it's so beautiful, it's so high, we can't even fully understand it, I can't even fully unpack it, but we have it as a precious promise. We have it to pray into, we have it as a hope, as an anchor for our soul. And so this is why eternal life is to know him, and we don't want and we don't get saved solely to get a get out of hell free car. But we can experience a measure of God's fullness even on this side of earth. All of God's fullness on this side of eternity. Sorry, not on this side of earth. But like we can actually grab hold of God's heart. We can actually understand Christ's love to such an extent that we experience God's fullness here. That we aren't just waiting until we just make it through the pearly gates and get a well done. But we can hear that now while we're here. We can walk and carry God's fullness when we feel empty, when we feel lost. We can carry, we can grow in our understanding of the fullness of God that lives in us. And so as we've been talking about confidence throughout the first um, few sections, even in verse 20, um, where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. We're given confidence that we can grasp this this love that transcends knowledge because God is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask, pray, or imagine. That's where we get beyond that type of knowing and we tap into knowing outside of what we're capable of knowing. It's by the grace of God. It's by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we grow in this, that we get filled with the knowledge of his love. And so what we really need to grab hold of here is that his power is so great and the fullness of that power is residing in us. It's actively working in us. All of his fullness, that power, it resides in us. Daily we carry that with us. It's important to know our identity. It's important to know what's working in us. It's important to know there's not just things on the outside affecting us or just things in our mind that affect us. That there's just not external power. There's not just external power that's available, but there's internal power beyond what we were able to place there, beyond what we're able to draw on in our own strength. But that has been given to us on the inside. And so we we all love verse twenty one. Um, let me just read it again because it's just so good. <laughs> to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so it really sums up what having a revelation of his love, power and strengthening compels us to give him. It compels us to give him the glory and the praise because we get, um, excuse me, we get to experience the fullness of God 
not only by grace through faith, not only because we've been saved, but also because he promises that we don't get any lesser part of himself or of his love on this side of heaven. We aren't getting shorted out of God on this side of eternity. It's not just, you know, we're waiting for the day. We are, you know, we're, we're waiting to become, you know, perfect glorified bodies, things like that. But there's a fullness that God promises us that's available to us. That's working, that's seeking to work on the inside of us that we have access to. And so just a super general quick question I just want to ask us is, you know, and this could be a question just a couple of people answer. But how ought this revelation of, this, of these verses in the, the path, in the prior passages we just read, how might this, what we just read, shift your life? How might, or shift your prayer life, excuse me. Um, how could understanding this section, like understanding what we just read, um, praying this, how could that shift your view of prayer? Shift how you live out prayer. Yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's good. But, some, <laughs> but something shifts when you know you're going to apply it. The word gets made flesh in you. One thing to hear it, but it's the doers of his word who are blessed. That's why she said the same thing that I said. But because she's going to do it, that hit everyone differently. There was an agreement that we felt, even with her response, where it's like, wait a minute, he's preaching it. But like, if I do this, Jesus, if I do this, something might shift in me. The, the way I've been struggling, I might not have to stay like that. My, my limited view of God, my limited view of prayer, my limited view of it, it might not have to stay like that. There's an agreement that's there. So encourage one another, edify one another. Give testimonies about how this stuff shifts you. You know, don't just let this be a good sermon that you feel good about and then forget about tomorrow, but put it into action. You know, be in community. It'll help you, you know, connect with someone who's around you. And so just for the sake of time, I'm just going to move on to the next section of scripture. It's a little shorter. Um, Let's move to Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it's continuing with this theme of the foundation of love um, for our prayer lives. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Um, And I could just read it quickly, um, again, just for the sake of time. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled. Filled. (laughs) With the fruit of Hey, I held that in Naomi's belt. <laughs> that was the whole right side of the room. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Y'all are funny. Uh, to the glory and praise of God. Interesting. Another section that ends with the glory and praise of God. Interesting. 
Interesting where these prayers are leading. Let me not skip ahead. Um, <laughs> so another verse, uh, verses just surrounding this foundation of, of God's of, of love that we need for our prayer lives. And so when we love Christ, when we love Christ rightly, he produces godly thoughts in us. He produces godly actions in us. He produces the fruit of righteousness that we can be filled with. And because God is love, like 1 John 4, 16 says, abounding or growing in love, increasing in love, must produce growth in our experiential knowledge of love, of God, sorry. If we're praying that we would abound more and more in love and God is love, we're abounding more and more in God. We're growing more and more in God. We're praying that type of prayer. And so love needs to be, and I've already said this, so I won't you know, belabor the point too much, but love needs to be our foundation and our motivation for praying for ourselves and for others. We need to allow love, the thing that we brush over so much and feel like we have a good grip on, because we hear it all the time, we're desensitized, we don't really think about the implications of what we're saying. We need to actually wrestle with that and seek, ask ourselves, like, am I really motivated by love? Like, do I really, like, pray for, like, am I struggling with praying because I have a love issue? Like, maybe you need to start there. Like, have I not really apprehended God's love like I thought? Is, is it not really a laziness issue? Is it not really, like, a, you know, messed up, like, identity thing? Is it not really, a, I just don't know what to pray? Is it, like, have you really wrestled with understanding God's love? God's love, not just for yourself, but also for others, for your neighbor. Once you, I promise once you grab a hold of that, it will shift your desire to pray. It'll shift your desire to be an intercessor. You won't just think it's for somebody else, but by nature, when you're in his presence, intercession will spring up. By nature, because you feel his heart for people, you feel his love for people. And so if your foundation for prayer isn't built on love, you're not going to have endurance. You know, your time might be filled with anxiety of what to pray for. And even your hidden place can become performative. Hear this, Jesus, even your hidden place, your secret place, whatever you call it, quiet time. You can be performative in front of an audience of one. You could be thinking all about I need to, you know, get this down right. So when I go out and pray, you know, I sound right. I got my scriptures together. I, you know, I, I, like I can come, like I'll get adoration of men. I'll get adoration of different people. Don't notice me. You know, God might be, I might move God more, Jesus. But you can be performative. You can be praying for men while you're alone with your door shut, like the word says. Wow. You don't have to just be, in front of people on the corner, like, you know, the, the scriptures talk about, you know, seeking people's attention. But we do that in our own prayer time. Jesus, help us really, really wrestle with that. Lord, search me. Show me. See if there's any wicked way. See if there's any selfish way, any performative way in me in the time of prayer. In the time of being in my word. Who am I reading for? Who am I praying for? Who am I worshiping for? Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And so, a knowledge of God will give us confidence to pray for blessings that exceed human reasoning. I know I'm 
moving on a little bit just for the sake of time. But we truly are only going to know God's word only as we live the word and it becomes part of who we are. So the goal of knowing the truth of God's word is a deeper love for God, deeper love for people, freedom from sin, freedom from all that offends and opposes the things of God. And so when we're talking about, like my version says, depth of insight or discernment, through true love and godly knowledge, we're going to learn to distinguish between what is good and evil, what's true and false, what's right and wrong. And so as we pray this, we grow in our confidence. We're given confidence. Again, that word we keep running into, confidence. Big thing that God wants us to understand is confidence in prayer from different ways. We need confidence and direction as to how to live a life without approach or shame. That's what praying something like this will do. It'll, it'll show us how to live a life without shame, that we can have confidence that we won't be judged, confidence that we're living rightly, confidence. And so we want to make, we want to love, live, and make decisions and pray, obviously, as we're talking about, with an eternal perspective. So why am I bringing up this eternal perspective? Because verse 10 talks about the day of Christ or the day of the Lord or his second coming or, you know, the judgment. You know, that's what it's referring to. And so we need to live, love, pray, make decisions, knowing the king is coming back. He's coming to judge. He's like, I will have to stand before him. And for those of you who are saved, it's not you're going to have to stand before him debating, you know, whether you did enough, whether you'll make it to heaven or hell. But he's looking at the way that you lived your life because what you do might all burn up. What you thought you may have been doing for God may have been like that secret place where you thought you were alone with him for him, but you were performing. You were there for you. You were there because there was a different applause you were looking for. But if we center our lives on this eternal perspective, if we make decisions, if we plan our five-year plans or whatever year plans, our degrees or whatever on Jesus will come back. I will have to face him. I will have to, you know, what do I want to hear him say? What do you want to hear him say? And I'll actually even ask that as a question. But like, just what are some things, just people just kind of speed, raising up your hands. What would you want Jesus? What would you want God to say about your character, about the type of life that you lived when you stand before him? And maybe what are some things you don't want him to say to be true about your life? Remember, this is the king of kings. This is your creator. What would you want him to say, John? I want him to tell me that he knew me. Amen. 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 If he didn't, I feel like I wasted my whole life. Yeah. Come on. Who was that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyone else? What would you want God to say to you? God, when you face him. If y'all are secure in Christ, you ain't got to worry. (laughs) (laughs) Bible readers. (laughs) Hey, y'all cheat. (laughs) 
to go into what I want him to say about my character, I would want him to say that I represented his truth well. Mm. That I was loving. That mm. I was Come on. That I was, you know, and that mm. I grew in those things consistently from the beginning of my salvation to the last day. Come on. Yeah. That's good. Off, what did you ever hand? Uh, did you have your hand up, Susan? Yeah. This will probably be the last. I'll take yours too. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to think about it. But we, some of us, we might need to actually think about it. We might actually need to think about what could God say about our lives? What could he say? You, you didn't live for me. You, <laughs> you weren't praying for me. You weren't going to Bible study for me. You weren't, you know, a lot of the things we do will get burned up. And it's, there, it's, you know, it's good when we think about the positive things. This is all I'm trying to say is it's good, you know, thinking about the positives and what we desire for God to say and let that motivate us. But sometimes we need to think about like, you know, what, what's on the opposite side of that? What could we look at and say, hmm, if I really weighed my heart on this side of eternity before I face him, I can definitely highlight ways my heart is not right. That I am just doing things. I am just going through the motions that, you know, yeah. Go on. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Those are all good. All, all, all good. Um, all right. Let's see. Praise God that I'll get through the uh, just last couple. 
Um, so let's turn to Ephesians 1, um, 15 through 23. Um, so we can understand a right view of God, a right view of God and his will. Um, do we have anyone who would like to read that? 15 through 23. Okay, amen. Holy, 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 holy. So, um, you know, for the sake of time, I'll work through this. If I'm a little quick, um, you know, we'll, we'll have this um, recorded as well. Um, but I want to key in on um, verse 17 um, to start and to talk about this spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him better um, grow in the knowledge of him. And so these are not mystical things, primarily, even though it says the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But the spirit of wisdom is concerning very practical things and just a deeper understanding of God's will. And so often God's spirit in the Old Testament is referred to as the spirit of wisdom. If you want to look at that, look at Isaiah 11, two, uh, Isaiah 11, the first like few verses, um, and then God is often referred to as wisdom personified as well in the Old Testament, like in Proverbs and in different things, like he's literally personified as wisdom itself, um, or wisdom itself is personified, or yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and then Revelation, so referring less about, you know, prophetic insight, which we all, you know, appreciate and have been blessed by, but referring to the unveiling of our hearts and to the insight into the way God's word is meant to work in our lives. So it's really the revelation of the insight of his word, his written word. And so Paul wants us to know God and not to know facts about God. He wants us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so we could actually know him, not just hear about him, not build up, you know, facts and just we can just you know say to people I mean impress people with how much we know about him but he desires for us to know him personally to build that relationship with 
and to talk to him regularly. That's what I want to emphasize. Like a big part of knowing God, knowing anyone for, for that matter, you know, most relationships you have that thrive, typically there's a lot of communication that's there. There's typically a lot of, you know, talking or at least staying in touch or communication um, or things like that. And so not only should we Bible study, we want to learn about God sometimes. Like that stuff is good. It's not like everything we learn about God is like bad, but we need to encounter him. We need to experience him regularly through prayer and his word. We need to read through experience. It's not just like prayer alone has like you can experience or encounter God. We can encounter him through his word. His word is living. (laughs) His word is alive. It's active. If we actually give ourselves to like putting our lives up in his word, it becomes a lot more difficult for it to just be knowledge acquisition. And so. Like I said, I know I'm going to kind of speed through things a little bit, but um, also just in verse 17, this is something I want us to, to grasp or just think about. If we know that John 17, 3, for instance, says that eternal life is that we may know God, then think about what's one of the most powerful prayers I could pray. If eternal life is to know God, well, from an eternal perspective, The prayer for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God, to grow in the knowledge of God, to know him better is one of the absolute best prayers you could pray to actually be walking with and walking in eternal life now is praying a prayer like this, knowing God better in this way by his spirit. You can tap into that eternal life that is to know God. And so we can experience that tangibly tangibly on this side of heaven. And so verse 18, you know, it's pointing kind of more to insight and, you know, some different things, but I want to focus on three blessings specifically that are in, um, in these, uh, in this verse. And so one we can see is the hope to know the hope to which he's called us. So hope in our eternal glorified future with Christ. And again, I'm kind of just going to rattle off most of uh, the, most of them, but um, I'll talk a little bit about um, the second one a little bit more in depth. Um, So the first one is hope in our eternal glorified future with Christ as the first blessing. The second blessing is revelation of our identity as God's inheritance. Oh, Jesus, we have an identity as God's treasured possession. What could a God who has everything who's over everything. What could he even desire? What's not his? And he said, what I'm waiting for, what all of human history is unto, is that I could receive an inheritance of hearts that want me, that share in my affection, that love me how I love them. We are his inheritance, his holy people, his saints. How does that change how you view yourself? God who has everything wants you. What's Zanasia? What's Suzanne? What's Devin? What's Aiden? What's, he wants you. You're his inheritance. You're his treasured possession. So when we deny God intimacy with him through prayer, we're limiting his access to the only treasure he cares about, which is us. We're limiting the ability to, you know, have him experience the joy of us in prayer 
We talked about the joy of answered prayer. God delights when we come to him in prayer. He takes joy. What inheritance would you be like upset about like getting to experience before it's time? Like what what like gift would you be, you know, concerned about, you know, getting to experience and to talk to and, you know, things like that? Like we wouldn't. So we're the only gift that God cares about receiving while everything is already his. And so he wants us. He wants his bride. He wants us. It's important for some of us to know he wants you. He has not rejected you. He desires you more than anything. He hasn't forgotten. He still sees. He's still there. He's still longing. And so it's, it's also just important to know that God's incomparable great power is still presently available to all believers. And so if we pray from this understanding that our eternal future in Christ is secure, that we are actually a precious gift to God, that he looks forward to receiving us as his set-aside inheritance, it's going to radically change how we think about ourselves. How do you love someone else when you know God cares? How do you evangelize differently when you know how much God treasures people? How does that shift how you pray? Doesn't that shift how you want to intercede for someone when you get maybe tired and you want to endure a little bit more because you've grabbed a hold of God's heart? You know how God burns and longs for someone. It makes you contend differently in the place of prayer. And and it will change how we think about God. And that changes how we pray. And so we'll begin not to base the effectiveness of our prayers on how emotional we feel, like I keep bringing up, but we'll understand, again, how the times where we don't feel it are some of the times, those are the times, like, we can really move in God's heart in a special way because we don't feel it. Specifically because we're not basing it on God plus I feel great. Specifically because it's not God plus I feel goosebumps, I feel his presence all over, but there's a different level of glory he receives when you're praying confidently and boldly, but you don't even feel a thing. It feels like he's not even in the room, but you're just speaking by faith. That moves heaven. That moves God's heart so much. And so the last section that I'll I'll go to and read through quickly before we wrap up um, with a conclusion is just going to be Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the same verse. Amen. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so we're thinking about here, how does a right view of God and his will lead us to transform living? Remember, we don't want to stop at these things sound good to me while I'm sitting in this chair in this room and I'm with other believers. But when I get home alone, when I have to make it through the rest of the week, what am I going to do with it? What's going to be done with it? And so Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people 
in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord. And so um, just some very, very, very brief context as we're um, get kind of close on time. Paul, in this letter, he's really addressing um, this issue, this heresy that's in the Colossian church of Gnosticism. Basically, a lot of people preaching you need special knowledge to access God, special like extra biblical revelation or else you can't really know or be accepted by God. And so Paul's correcting them. And he's saying that knowledge accumulation isn't enough. There's no special knowledge outside of what God has revealed um, that can save, that can do any of the things that, you know, they're proclaiming through this book. And so it can't take you anywhere. But what he declares in place is that knowledge from the spirit is meant to lead us into a transformed life. Like that knowledge that does come from God actually transforms us and has power. That other knowledge can't do a thing. And so in verse nine, we see Paul's desire for God to fill the Colossians with knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that in verse 10, they would live lives worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. So this knowledge with God is deeply personal and our ability to understand his will comes from constant time with him in his word and prayer. If anyone tells you they're getting to know God and they don't pray and they don't read their Bible, you should question them. That should be skeptical. We're all young. We can be very impressionable by arguments we hear on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, people who don't have a lick of Bible, people who don't have a lick of you haven't seen them pray once on their channel, heresy hunters. (laughs) You know, a lot of these people like just absent of these things, but making bold claims, audacious claims, but these things are absent. We should question those things. We should have some pause before we give ourselves over to those things. And so we we need time in his word and prayer, and and we need time applying those things to our lives. Would y'all listen to me if you knew I was like partying and like cheating on my wife? and, And like, no. You would not, I could say the same exact things, but y'all would probably, y'all would toss me out. It's, it's literally just incompatible. So on a less serious extent, what does it look like when we do these things and these Christian disciplines, but our lives bear no fruit? Where the way we love people looks no different. Where, we're, where we don't apply it. We just hear it and it just goes in one ear and out the other. And so what's truly worthy to the Lord, what's truly pleasing to him, they're very practical things. Living holy, bearing the fruit of the spirit, sowing to the spirit and not to your flesh. Understanding that your decisions matter, that, you know, you might want God to just do things for you. But he's saying, I've empowered you to make choices that have consequences, positive or negative. In his, in his word, we see things like without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we need to love others well. For if we have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, we have nothing. And so to end, I'm just going to list quickly the four, like four elements in this section of a life worthy of the Lord. Um, and people obviously can go back, reread this, apply it to your own life. Um, but the first one is bearing fruit. 
And so you can make note of that. That spiritual fruit, so like what Elizabeth was reading off um, earlier from like Galatians 5, um, 22, 23, I believe. Um, but also um, good deeds. Like when we've truly been transformed and redeemed, like in God's love, God has actually set aside good works for us. That's, I forget what chapter and verse that is in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians. Hey, there it is. But he's actually made us for good works. Like when we're in him, come on, uh, man of God. Hey. <laughs> yeah, correct me. Um, let me stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> but he's made us for good works. Like, it's not, you know, a lot of times as, you know, Protestant believers, we think uh, good works. Like, it's not good works that save us, but there ought to be some good works that follow you, them who believe. Amen. And so this is only possible if we abide in Christ, because apart from him, again, we can do nothing. I'm just repeating this, this stuff because God says it's the most important love. So we need to keep it with us when we go and we think about different elements of prayer. So Second element of a life worthy of the Lord is growing in or growing by the knowledge of God. And so we, we talked about that a lot, but we just need to keep that down and think about it as we're applying it to our own lives. Um, and you can just refer to the past notes that we took. Um, but third, being strengthened for endurance and patience. So in order to live a holy life that's worthy to the Lord, that's worthy to the Lord and pleasing to him, we need to be strengthened. By the Holy Spirit supernaturally. We need his daily enablement. You don't just need him for your hardest prayers or your hardest battles. You need him when you think you've got it. You need him for everything. And I think that's what plays into some of our prayerlessness, our lack of trust. A lot of those things is we think we've arrived with like small things that we don't really need him for. It doesn't really take much to believe him for. But when it comes to the bigger things, bigger things, it's like, oh, I don't really know. We really say, oh, I don't know if God wants to answer this. But really, we're like, well, since I can't handle it, I don't really know if I can have faith that God can do anything with it. Because we will measure him by ourselves in our ability, not realizing how much we rely on us for a lot of our prayer life. If we're keeping it a buck, we rely on ourselves for so many small things that it shifts how we view the bigger things. Why we lack faith for praying bigger, dreaming bigger, having greater vision, you know, waging war by God's word in that way. And so, um, and lastly, number four, I'll just say, uh, actually with number three, let me add this last part. Um, but just con concerning how much our choices matter, I just want to say this note really quick. We make choices every day that either contribute to our spiritual apathy or our spiritual hunger. You make choices. You didn't just wake up with no taste for God. With, you didn't just wake up a new day and you wanted to start falling away and falling into sin. You made choices. You looked at that thing a little too long. That wasn't all the way going into pornography. But whew, next thing, you look up and you're there. You're back in that place. You made decisions of, oh, well, I don't know if I'm really in the heart posture to pray, you know, whatever that might be. Um, so you end up prayerless because you made decisions and we don't notice it because sometimes these decisions are so, so small. Like, you mean, I just looked at that little thing over and over. And then eventually that led to me falling like with her, like a real, like, how did that happen? Like, like I'm coming into, our, I'm coming into real life right now. Like our decisions matter. You can choose to sow to the spirit and gain spiritual hunger, or you can choose to sow to your flesh and, 
you'll question what's happening, what's going on, how did you get here? And we want to talk about the devil. We, there is a real adversary. Let me make sure that's true. But we don't realize how much power is in our decisions, how much it's a us problem, how much we contributed to our issues with the Lord. And so to conclude, I just want to share, um, and we could even, uh, someone could press play on the music as we wrap up. Um, but I just feel like there's a, uh, there was a connection, actually. That's what I want to start with. There was a connection with these sections of scripture that we read, like the four um, apostolic prayers specifically, where there is this thing where all of these powerful prayers that have so much deep revelation and stuff for us to live a godly life, they all or almost all of them end in some sort of exhortation, some sort of praise or worship to God due to the great revelation that's found in them. And so I want us to know a right view of God, healthy and regular communication with him will lead us to hearts that desire to worship and praise him without it being burdensome, without it being forced, without you needing to stir yourself up. And so I felt like this past week, the Lord really gave me a revelation um, about worship that I just wanted to share with you all. And so I want to talk about beholding Jesus's beauty. Beholding Jesus's beauty. It should be like, like it is if some of you maybe have ever seen, um, you know, maybe like the, anything that's just beautiful, anything that's just magnificent. Like you could see the Grand Canyon. You could see, <laughs> you could see your wife. You could see the Grand Canyon. You could see Mount Everest. You could see some great thing, some great creation. You could see something magnificent, some piece of art. And when you look at it, and I know you can attest to this, don't you stop yourself and you're just in awe. It's like you have no choice. You don't have any other response but to just be like, wow, this is beautiful. You didn't have to do anything to stir yourself up. You just looked at it. Just being in proximity with it, you had nothing to say but, wow, beauty, oh, awesome. I can't believe this is real, Jesus. I can't believe this is real. I can't believe I'm really seeing this. Your first expression isn't stoic. It's not neutral. But it's just, oh, wow, magnificent. And so we feel like there's no choice and that we must acknowledge its beauty and there's no stirring up. We just want to be there. We just want to be in its presence. We just want to sit and focus on it a little bit. Jesus. So when we behold Jesus in prayer or songs, when we're, when we're doing whatever, and we consider his glory. We, we think about his beauty. We think about his attributes. We pray. We have mundane or powerful times of prayer. Worship should feel like the only proper response when you get before him. It should be like, I just can't help myself. I'm here with you. How is this real? I'm in awe. 
beautiful, magnificent, holy. Our natural cry would be we join in with the four living creatures surrounding God's throne and we say, holy, holy, holy. We lay everything down before him. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We go, we enter into a different type of worship that comes from just being. Not doing, but just being. Where we're unable to do anything else because we beheld him as he is. And so this sermon isn't just to stir our prayer lives in our intimacy with God alone. We need those. We need those desperately. But God desires to make us into worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. I'm not just saying some of you need to be more energetic. And, like if you get that from what I'm saying, you've missed the whole point. But that experiential knowledge, that knowledge that you actually need the spirit's empowerment for, his enabling for, that's what I'm getting to. That place of worship where this is a natural response. Where you get before him and you, you didn't even do it yourself, but you're just before him and you're just beholding. And all you can say is, I'm in awe. I can't be anywhere else in this moment. My mind isn't all over the place. I'm thinking about how I can capture this, how I can stay in this forever. We'll take pictures of things, all types of pictures that are magnificent, that take our breath away. And God's inviting us into having those moments where we don't want to forget it. We want to stay in it so long that we can just capture it because we can't just take a picture of him and look back to it. But it's intentional because he wants us to come and have that with him daily. He wants it to be regular. Where whether we feel like we're in the Holy of Holies or we feel like we're in the outer, outer courts, we know that we're right before him. We're right in front of him, beloved. Resting as his inheritance with him. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you. The Holy Spirit living in you. And so he's taking us beyond, you know, churchiness or expressive worship. He's taking us beyond getting rah-rahs when we pray, when we intercede, when we're around others. But he's birthing in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. He's birthing in us hearts that get into his presence and immediately stand in awe of the living God before them, where nothing is on our minds or performative. But we rest. We find rest and true worship in that place of merely being still and knowing that he's God. That his presence is heaven and we stand in awe of him. Just imagine if, Jesus. imagine if you got in the place of prayer and it was actually a place where anxiety ceased and didn't grow. Imagine if it was a place where depression couldn't get you. Whew, Jesus. Imagine it was a place where all type of stress has been going on, but as soon as you see him, mm, Jesus, as soon as you see him, it's like nothing else matters. What you were just thinking about, it doesn't even compare. That it doesn't even register. Jesus, yes, Lord. And so we're just gonna end this in a time of prayer of repentance, of, altar, of an altar call, of, of, of just for the hungry, just for those who are tired of living a life of prayer, living a life of, of, you know, being in this Christian life where you aren't genuinely pleased with it because you feel like there's a deeper level of God. 
that you're missing. And it's not from this, you know, spirit of comparison. It's not because you're judging based on other people's outward appearances how much they have God's favor. But you know as I'm preaching this, and you know in some measure this applies to all of us, but deeper than a message that just applies to everyone. For you, you know, I don't know exactly what I need, but I know I need prayer. I don't know exactly what I need, but I know I need him to touch me. I don't know exactly what I need, but I know I need a word of encouragement. I know I need something, something deeper. I know I need to grasp hold of his heart. Some of you, that word I gave about, you've been performative even in secret. Jesus. He hasn't even been able to get you in secret even when you're alone. You might be thinking, how can I post this moment on social media? How can I preach to someone? Let me read this through the eyes of a preacher so I could tell someone else. And not letting the Lord actually make it in you, live it in you. God's calling you to turn from that, to repent. Ask him, if you don't know if it's you, ask him to search your heart. The Holy Spirit will convict. You'll know. You'll know. And so I just want to encourage anyone who wants prayer. We have our prayer team here. And prayer team, you might even need prayer. So if you need prayer, Go to one of the other people on the prayer team and we'll pray for you. But some of us just need a fresh touch from God. Some of us, we might have felt the weight of conviction from what Devin preached, from something else I preached that I didn't even bring up in this altar call. We might just need to confess some sin. We might just need to release something heavy that we've been carrying with us. And God wants you to know you should have confidence. You should have access. You should know your access. You should be bold. Know the type of God he is. Know what his heart towards you is. Be reminded of his throne of grace. The mercy he desires to pour out. That he isn't judging you because, you know, your prayer life isn't lining up perfectly with what I'm preaching. He's not shifting his view of you day to day. Wow, they really prayed hard for me today. They really read their word for this past week. Now I can bless them. Now I can encourage them. Now I can answer that prayer. That is not the type of God we serve. He's not so feeble that he's moved. The issue actually is that God does know our hearts. God does know the ways of man. Jesus declared that to be an issue when he came before even he passed. The issue is that he, God knows us too well. He's not moved by what moves us, what impresses each other. He's not moved or touched by that. But when he fills you, when you've encountered him, you won't have to worry about any of those other things because you'll enter into worship. You'll say, God, I see you now. The eyes of my heart have been enlightened. I've seen you. I can't go back. I, don't, I can't even, I don't even need to agree with my mouth that I'm on board with what was preached because now I'm worshiping. 
it started off with this with praying through these prayers but now i've entered into worship because i realized i've met you i've encountered your love i see you as you wanted me to see you this whole time And so I, I just ask that everyone would just make an altar wherever you are. Make that altar wherever you are. Yeah, if you have to get on your knees, do. If you need to pace, do. If you can sit right where you are. God's so much less concerned about your, where your physical body is if your heart is far from it. He's trying to minister to some of you who might... Just know yourself and you know you have a proneness to let these words fall to the ground. But he's asking, will you let me do a lasting work in you? Will you allow me to show you where you sow to the flesh and that's the reason why these words keep falling? Why it's not all just the devil who came and snatched it, but you gave the agreement. You sowed into apathy. You sowed into powerlessness. You sowed into lovelessness. You sowed into distraction. You may have sowed into unrepentant sin and wonder why you're not reaping righteousness, the Holy Spirit, this level of worship, this level of love. And God's saying, I just want you to see me. I just want you to show me that there's a place you can get to where you don't have to debate that I'm valuable or that I'm worthy. But if you would just get close enough where you would let me show you myself, he would let me show you my glory. It wouldn't even be a debate. You would just enter in. You would just be, and you just wouldn't want to go anywhere else. You wouldn't want to live contrary to the way that he says is the worthy way of living, the way that's pleasing to him. And so some of you, I encourage you're actually two in your head, even in this moment, and you get two in your head, even in your own secret place time. You actually need to pray out loud or get someone to pray for you. This is too serious for you to just leave it in your head where there's distractions running through, where there's doubts, where there's all those things. But you actually need to get with God out loud and not for, for you know, the pressure from the pulpit, but because God wants, wants a deeper part of you. He wants that deeper part. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We thank you that you're taking us deeper with you, God. We thank you that the reward for a life laid down in the secret place, God, the reward we get openly is more you. Thank you, Jesus. And the crazy thing is we wouldn't want anything else. When we enter into that place of worship, when we're moved in that way, we aren't even thinking about just our reward in heaven. We aren't thinking about just, you know, the powerfulness, the, the way people will look at us. But we're like, God, the best thing you could give me from this time with you is more you when I leave my knees. More you when my head isn't bowed in my room alone, God. More you when I go out. More you when I'm at work. More you when I'm at school. More you. <laughs> You're the reward. And God, our hearts can grow to this place. We don't have to be there now. But your ask for the, the room right now is, do I have hearts that are willing? 
Are people willing to be willing? God isn't asking you to just jump into this deep place. But he says, if you sow unto me, thank you, Jesus. If you sow unto me, not with your finances, would you sow unto me your time? Would you allow me to give you my heart for prayer? Would you show up enough through enough mundane times, enough times of confusion in the word where I would be able to grip your heart? Would you go, and again, I'm not, hear this by the spirit. This isn't promoting, you know, me just as T-Bock pastor. Would you go to prayer on the oval? Would you go pray? God doesn't deny the one who's hungry, but instead he fills them. He fills the hungry. He gives rivers of living water to the thirsty. He doesn't run out. He is eager to pour out his grace on us. He's rich in mercy. He's desiring of you. But I just feel like people are just putting too much strength on themselves. It's even like what I said before, where it's like we don't even realize how much we actually put faith in us. But we call it faith in Jesus, faith in the Holy Spirit. We don't even realize. We just thought it was small enough that we really didn't need to trust him, that this would have got done either way. And God is saying, that's what I'm trying to get at. You really don't realize your need for me. You think the need for me is out of Christian duty and obligation, but like, you literally need to drink for me. You need to feed on my flesh. drink of my blood. You need to feed on my flesh and drink of my blood. And as that same proclamation was made by Jesus, so many disciples left. After all the miracles, after all the encounters, after all the the joy of answered prayer, they missed his heart. They missed him. He said something they couldn't fully get behind. He asked them for a little bit too much sacrifice He asked them for a little bit too much of denying themselves, taking up their cross and following him. That the disciples left in droves. But there was a remnant. Thank you, Lord. There was a remnant. When Jesus asked, are they going to go? He said, Lord, where else would we go? You hold the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? That's what he wants from us. He's saying, I've revealed myself. I've given you. What What if he answers your prayer? Will you lose him? Some of you need to be honest. I feel it in this moment. If he answered that prayer for you, he would lose you completely. And you know it. But you've been convincing yourself and trying to convince him that if he just gave you that stuff would just work out. You would be able to worship more freely. Who, Jesus. Financial issues. Who, Jesus. If he would just answer it, I would just have a clear mind. If, you know, if he just gave me that man, if he just gave me that girl I've been looking for, like if he just gave me these things, I would be able to worship him in spirit and truth better. I would be able to worship clear headed. I wouldn't have so many distractions on my mind. But God said, that's not how I operate. Well, we have, which disciple will we be? The ones who left were still called disciples up until they left. They left receiving the precious promises, receiving everything they really wanted. 
They follow Jesus through great lengths, through hunger, through thirst. They look like genuine sacrifice right alongside genuine disciples. But what happened? He asked, will you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? Will you go a little bit deeper with me? Will you go where it sounds a little bit crazy or a little bit too much to ask? And they said, no, we won't go there. We got what we needed. Thank you. Maybe, if that. We got what we needed. Is that your cry in this room today? Did you get what you need and now you're on a little hiatus? God touched you just a little bit. He healed that thing. He answered that prayer and he lost his inheritance. He was robbed of his inheritance in the process. Jesus, let us not rob you of your inheritance. Let us not rob you of what you died for. Let us not trade our let us not trade your inheritance for a bowl of soup. Not even our inheritance. But let us be the disciples who look at the way the world is going. Look at what people are doing our age. Look at what they're living for. Look at people in the church. Look at the church. Getting blessed in God is nowhere in it. Contending for answer prayer. Getting it. And they miss him and they lose him. But we could be those who see the glory, who see the encounters, who see the promises, are faced with difficulties in Christ, and we say, where else would I go? Who holds what you have? Who offers what you have? I'll suffer anything. I'll, I, won't, I won't experience the joy of answered prayers for 10 years like John talked about with his dad. I won't, I'll, I'll be okay with it because you have everything. Eternal life is to know you where, I, I can't know any better. There's nothing greater. If I, if I could go anywhere else, all I could think about is you. All I could do is be in awe of what I left. That's what they tapped into. Beholding unto becoming. Beholding until all they could do is just say, wherever you are, we want to be. The gift of us being with you so intimately and suffering through so much and going through so many ups and downs and building this history with you, Jesus, is we actually want more of you. We do want to eat from your flesh and drink of your blood. We do want that level of intimacy. We won't deny you when you ask us for a little more, when, we, when you don't give us what we thought we deserved. So we thank you, Lord, that our choices have power. And it means we can actually love you in a unique way. We can love you in a way the angels can't love you. We can worship in a way those elders, will, those living creatures will never be able to worship. They were created to worship him. They were created to be obedient. They were created. Whew, thank you, Jesus. And God said, I'm empowering you to make a choice. Because I want my inheritance to want me. I'm empowering you to make a choice, but I'm not leaving you to your own power. If you choose me, I'll give you strength to have me. I'll give you strength to endure. You're not the one who's even choosing... You're not even the one coming up with the strength. God says, if you choose me, you won't even have to do it in your own strength. I'll help you. 
Let this not just be another night. Let it just not be another altar call. Let it just not be another tool we picked up and how we learn how to pray and, you know, we, you know, just go on with our lives and aren't changed. But God, when we step into this place with you, beyond some piano music playing that you might think is setting the environment, when the spirit of God moves on someone, when he really gets to touch you with truth, when you really experience that power that's immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine. There's a worship that you can't fake that isn't just stirred because we chose to play some worship music. It's not just a psychological moment. It's not just an emotional, manipulative moment. But it's proximity to him. That's That's where we are. Proximity to him. Proximity to him. And so, God, I pray you would touch hearts in here, God. That you would show people in this room, God, that you have heard their prayers. That they are heard. That they are loved that they can have confidence before you in the place of prayer, that they can have joy, that they can have expectation, and that they can love, they can have your love, they can understand your love in ways that goes beyond their comprehension and their strength. But God, they have to choose it. We have to choose this day whom we'll serve. the God of our belly, or the living God? Who will we serve? God, we need, we need fruit from this. God, we desire a transformed life. We desire a transformed life. Or we want to desire a transformed life. God, let honesty spring up in this moment. Let honesty rise up in your children who know themselves. Who know the decisions they've made that have led to times where the word has stuck with them versus times where it fell to the ground. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God. I thank you that there's an exchange that takes place, God, when we're in your presence in this way, Lord. That we get to be in awe of you as if that wasn't enough, God. You actually give back to us. You actually pour out back on us. In your presence, God. (laughs) You give us beauty for ashes. God, you give us beauty for these weak, feeble things we have to offer you. And it's not just the beauty of the magnificent Grand Canyon type things and these other things, but you give us your beauty for the nothing that we have to offer, for the dead things, for the burnt up things. So God, let us be known for our love in this room. Let us be known as those who are lovers of God 
who just know how to be before you, who just know how to be still. And so I felt the Lord earlier this week, even just while I was praying and preparing for this, just saying, the Lord is filling the hungry. The Lord is filling the hungry. And we already know that in his word, obviously. But it's special when he's bringing it up for a specific moment, for a specific purpose, for you to specifically grab hold of it. He's reminding you now in this moment that he's filling the hungry, but will you be hungry or will you be full on the things of this world? Will you be full on the way that you've been pleased with your version of Christianity? Will you be full on the way of like not wanting to really go into those deep waters because that seems like it's too much? You know, I can still get to heaven. I'll make it in and I can, you know, kind of do a little bit of what I want. And you're right, like, you could have a lot of stuff just burn up at the, at the Bema seat with Christ and still make it in and still hear, well done. You know, it's God's grace that you've been saved. Great. It's God's grace by faith. We, we love that. And we praise God for that. But he's filling filling the hungry. He's filling the hungry. And he's not stopping with, with us being okay with having enough of him and then just making it through the gates. But like I preached about before, he's taking us to a place so much deeper, so much greater, so much greater. Thank you, Jesus. So much greater than being concerned about we're secure in heaven but he wants heaven to live in us. He wants all the fullness of himself in us. As we're the fullness of Christ's body, he wants his fullness to live in us. He wants eternal life to begin now and not to wait. He has something far greater for you. And it's not some secret knowledge. It's very evident in his word. But what will we choose? What will we choose? Will we choose to be hungry? Will we choose to have a broken and a contrite heart? Will we choose to be humble and say, God, I need to be honest with you and myself. I've desired easier. I've desired less deep waters. I've desired to take prayers on in my own strength. I've desired... And God, really, I've had a love issue. I've had a foundation issue. I've had a beholding issue. I've had a worship issue. That I said was other things, God, but I'm looking for something deeper. I prayed about my laziness. I prayed about my anxiety in prayer, but it seems like it's not changing. It's a, it's a deeper issue. It's a deeper issue. And so he wants you to know his arm is not too short to touch you. His arm is not too short to touch you. He has the power to meet you where you are, to shift your life, to have more of himself, that you would actually begin. It wouldn't just be good churchy sounding altar call stuff where it's like your desire would actually become more of him as the reward. And it wouldn't just be a cool sounding thing. Don't you want a reality where it's like, 
the God who knows everything, who is perfect, who's beyond finding out, he tells you the best way is to know me. The best way is for me to be the reward. And you actually take him at his word and you believe him. You don't believe that thing, that person, that car, that house, that job, that affirmation, that feeling of inadequacy that you can't, you know, fill, that you feel like can't be filled except with these things. Like, if we actually believe God when he says, actually, solving those things won't bring the shift in you that you think. But me being the reward will. And so I thank you, God, that you're purifying our praise tonight. You're purifying our worship, even though our focus is on prayer. And you're leading us into greater understanding of worship that isn't stirred up, but it's inevitable. God, we desire to get to that place where our worship isn't stirred up, but it's inevitable that we take it with us daily. We praise you randomly throughout the day because we just are in your glory constantly. And so the last thing I want to say as the union's closing up and people can still finish praying is that you, you specifically have a unique expression of talking to God, a unique way of worshiping that he can only get from you and no one else. He desires you and not in comparison to anyone else. But his heart is fully set out for you. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you, God. 